Hello, everybody. How's it going? Happy Friday. You are listening to Alumless. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am Ryan Catherwood. I am here with star of the show, Chris Marshall, <laughs> the uh, founder, president, leader extraordinaire of CMAC, Chris Marshall Advancement Consulting. Uh, CMAC is uh, the producer of the show, of course. And on the show, we talk about alumni and donor engagement strategies and university advancement. So if that is what you are interested in, then you are in the right place. Glad to have you. Uh, if you are listening to us after the fact, uh, as you are uh, making dinner or running on the treadmill because you've picked up our podcast edition, we are thrilled that you're listening as well and hope you enjoy the 30-minute bonus segment with today's special guest, Dori Sontag from Gonzaga University. We're very excited to introduce her. But first off, Chris, how are you today, sir? Good to see you. Good, good to see you. We've been emailing a lot this week, but uh, good to see your face and Busy, crazy week, but it seems like that's yeah. been the pattern, which is a good problem to have when you're running a business. So, it is a good problem to have when you're running a business. And we often do connect in person, but I would say it's not every week, right? Maybe yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple times, maybe once a month or so. But yep. yeah, lots of communications flying around and plenty of work to do. But, um, you know, are, are you, uh, this is March, right? March Madness. Are you a college basketball fan? Did you ever? have an opportunity to um, you know participate in sort of the the March madness as a <laughs> alumni director when you were at Lehigh or Cornell yeah they're not perennial basketball powerhouses they're both d1 teams both pretty good they yeah, do well in their yeah. conferences Patriot League for Lehigh Ivy League for Cornell but the, the best memory I have is in um, uh, well I'll tell you the very best memory I was at I wasn't working at Lehigh but the, when I was in the role at Cornell in 2009 Cornell, had a pretty good team the year before, made it to the tournament, got beat, and everyone was back. You know, it was one of those things where we kind of knew 09 was going to be a good year. And they they won their first game, an upset over somebody, and then they won the second game. So they made it to the so it'd be 20, 64, 30, made it to the sweet 16, I think it would be, right? So they, they run two games, made a run, and they ended up playing the top ranked Kentucky team, which made the final might have even made the final game that year. I don't think they won, but they got a we got our butts kicked <laughs> in that third game, but the, the the run was amazing for Cornell to win a game to get there is big. Win a game is huge. The win two was like unthought of and yeah. unheard of. And we went to the third game up in Syracuse in the dome. And I went to the game and sat uh, about 40 miles away from the floor from where my seat was. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, a huge but, stadium. Yeah. yeah. It was a cool moment though for a little Cornell to make a run, but uh, that, that part I was I think I remember that. And I, I've, of course, I worked at Washington and Lee, which had a D3 basketball program. But then I went to UVA and I think it had a, it wasn't until Tony Bennett arrived really in more recent years that UVA was is consistently making the tournament. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I do believe they made it my my last year there. And then Longwood University, where I worked previously, last year, men yeah. and women and made women. it for the yeah. first time last year, which yep. I was gone from the school by then. But it's a huge momentum builder particularly yeah. for schools that are not on the map right yeah. and well uh, there was a year in 12 when lehigh 15 seed played duke number two seed and um won that game in a huge huge upset and it was it, it, it to this day i mean it's you know the 10th anniversary happened and it was the cover of our alumni magazine celebrating that win it was probably the greatest arguably the greatest moment in lehigh athletics history winning a game against Duke in the NCAA basketball tournament. So it has a rallying effect for sure. We'll talk about that today with Dory. 
Yeah, yeah, we definitely will. And it's and it's sports more broadly too, right? Not yeah. just basketball, yeah. sure. football. I mean, we've talked to one of our partners was Boise State University and a lot of who they are now today, right? Uh, yep. Began with a bowl game, you know, some years ago. And Blue turf thinking for them, right? That's right, blue turf thinking. But we thought just since it's March, right? And it's basketball season, getting to the end of things. And, and alumni engagement activity really heats up, particularly for those schools who are dealing with conference tournaments uh, right now, NCAA tournament coming up. We thought we'd have a discussion about athletics alumni engagement. Thanks to all of you who are tuning in right now. I see folks chiming in in the chat. Uh, great to have you there. If you Share your favorite NCAA March Madness memory in the chat. It'd be fun. Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't introduced yourself in the school where you work, please do so in the LinkedIn comments. We can see your uh, comments here while we speak. And, and if you have any questions for Chris or myself, or particularly for Dory during our conversation, we're happy to pose those questions. Um, as you're as you're thinking about athletics alumni engagement, Chris, and you're you're thinking about, it, I would imagine that it's mostly a really good thing, yeah. right? And you have a, a perennially awesome basketball program that makes it to the NCAA tournament year in, year out. But um, in this case, you know, it's Gonzaga is a smaller school and, and there are some smaller schools, you know, that make the tournament regularly that when everything else is kind of considered, that's a small staff, right? Expected to do lots of the work of some yeah, of the big yeah, schools. Yeah. And so it's mostly a blessing, but what are the challenges <laughs> you think that exist for yeah. schools? Yeah. In, this, in this area. The biggest one, and I'm sure Dory will share this, is is managing expectations because the year it doesn't happen, right? They're going to have a, upset, you know, fans. Alumni expectation would be the biggest one. But, you know, from a practical standpoint, it's, you know, finding out at the last minute where you're going to be, where the game will happen. If it's a bowl game for football or a NCAA tournament game, you don't have a lot of notice. So there's a little bit of scrambling to pull something together. And the schools that have done it a lot kind of know how to, you know, forecast this. But it's still tough. Um, the, the, the scramble at the last minute. Um, the other one is, is sometimes location. Your team may be playing somewhere where you don't have an alumni base. So what do you do then? And how do you manage that? Another big one. Um, so again, it, it's both, both things are true with, with uh, bowl games and men's and women's basketball tournaments. There's lots of other examples, but you know those are the ones I would point to as challenges. I bet you Dory faces them every year. <laughs> well, it seems like the perfect moment to bring her to the stream and we will talk about uh, this topic and more with Dory. There she is. Hello, hey, Dory. Dory. Good to see you. <laughs> Hello. Good to see you. It's so exciting to be here. We are thrilled to have you on. Um, Dory, you are, of course, the Associate Vice President for Organizational Effectiveness in the University Advancement Office at Gonzaga University. And um, I think it's a pretty cool title, and we're going to talk about that in some of your other work. But perhaps we can sort of pick up on the thread that we've been discussing so far around athletics engagement. It is March. I imagine your calendar is pretty well packed. So thanks for making time for alumnus today. Um, but um, you know, you've had the chance to to I had the chance to look up both the men's and women's basketball at Gonzaga this year. Both are top twenty-five teams and expected to make the tournament. So what does that mean for you and your team? And, and have you developed a system around these regular appearances? We have developed a system. I'm sure you're not surprised by that. We've been so blessed with the success of both of our um, men's and women's basketball teams. And uh, we have had about, I think I was counting almost 25 years. It'll be 25 years next year. So we're probably in that 24 mark where we've had um, successful NCAA appearances. So 
Uh, we are, we have a playbook. We have a March Madness work team that we pull together every year. Hmm. Uh, it starts actually this weekend. I'm headed off to Las Vegas tomorrow and we will be welcoming thousands of bags to our conference tournament. And we have all kinds of programming in place. And then from there, we just build through the madness of the unknown. Um, we have a couple of thoughts as to where we might be, but um, you, you know, you just can't depend on on that. So we have a couple of backup plans as needed. Yeah, I, I imagine there are definitely contingency plans, right? Uh, backup plans to the backup plans. Um, what's What's interesting to me uh, about Gonzaga is at least in basketball, you're often playing teams that are from much bigger universities, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we discussed this a little bit just sort of in the in the lead up, but in theory, they've got far more alumni staff, right, to execute programming and uh, to do so uh, in this particular time period of the year. So what does that mean for for your team at and Gonzaga and how you're thinking about athletics? and specifically NCA engagement in March? Yeah, we're a small shop. We are um, we, we rely on every single role that we have to um, be maximized. So we really look at what we have to get done. We bring in our gift officers who have a job to do um, while we provide this wonderful platform for engagement opportunities. So they have some critical elements to accomplish. Um, but it's important that we divide and conquer. We have events that are happening outside of athletics as well. We have some career trek excursions happening in the California area right around the same time. So we want to make sure that we're deploying effectively. We're being as strategic as possible. And we're also allowing that rest and recovery time as well, because the next few weeks, um, given our success, could be um, take a lot of energy. Dory, what's the profile? Give us the size of the alumni body, student body, and then your staff? Okay, so our alumni body is about over 60,000. Okay. Uh, we have, Maybe. yeah, we have um, about 7,500 students um, and about 5,500 undergrads or so. And then our staff is about 40 in advancement with, um, when we're fully staffed, we have about 10 of those um, coming out of the alumni relations area. Pretty good. That's good. That's yeah. good. Good ratio. And um, I know the topic of uh, talent recruitment and retention was this webinar we did two days ago. And this was the, the hot item. Everyone's dealing the same issue that you're dealing with is yeah. we normally have X and we're at X minus something right now. So, yeah. Yep. yep. Dory, do you find that there's an excitement for athletics at Gonzaga across all sports uh, and opportunities to engage alumni across, you know, all the, the different sports teams? Obviously, basketball is a powerhouse flagship program, but yeah. um, do, you, do you find other opportunities or, or does basketball kind of take up the majority of the bandwidth? Basketball is definitely the central uh, rallying point, um, and uh, both of men's and women's have a really great following, and and we have some different kind of fan bases for both of those, um, both of those teams. But we have had a really strong baseball program. Um, our volleyball program is going to be coming along over the next few years. We have hired a phenomenal coach there. Um, there's a great showing, so it's probably more in pocketed areas. Um, as we uh, have had success, but also where, you know, certainly um, interests align, you know, by different sports. So Gonzaga and Spokane are very much enthreaded in um, supporting athletic teams. And so um, it really depends on what the success is of the moment and what the rallying point is at that time. Yeah, 
That's awesome. So, so Chris, you know, we often work with uh, partners that have traditions built around athletics, you know, much like Gonzaga does, and and but for other sports, perhaps. Uh, for most schools, I think having a top-ranked athletics program like athletic, like Gonzaga does that makes the NCAA tournament each year is a, is a really good thing. Uh, or maybe a football school like our guest Patrick Auerbach uh, a couple of weeks ago at USC was talking about how important football is at that school. There's vastly more upside to winning at sports because uh, that equals high levels of engagement. But if you were to make an argument against being focused on things around athletics, or um, what would it be? Yeah. Um, hard to, especially having spent a career in athletics before going to alumni. So I, I am the a wrong focus group to comment on this, but I do know the data out there that we've seen some data on this topic. And p- part of the challenge we face is a lot of that engagement, that swelling of pride in alma mater that happens is hard to measure, frankly. I mean, you could get it attitudinally through surveys and so forth, but I tell a story about a friend of mine who I knew back to the Duke story when Lehigh was playing Duke in basketball in that first round game in 2012. A friend of mine who was coaching the Little League team with my son was a Duke alum. I'm a Lehigh alum, so he came to practice wearing Duke gear head to toe and was giving me a hard time about the game. We ended up, I, I had a fun week after that when we won. But what was interesting to him, he was an engaged alum, like just new, passionate, loyal. And when I went down to Duke as a client, we did a little check and said, what's in the database? It was an old address for a student off-campus apartment he had from 20 years ago. There was no giving, no volunteer, no event attendance, no other communication history. So from all the case metrics, there were no, no measure no measure of engagement at all. So he was an unengaged, lost alum. But in his mind, he was one of the most loyal people. So the challenge we faced there is just being able to measure, get our hands around what's out there in the first place. The other thing I'll share from a data point is this, is that when you survey alums do attitudinal studies, there's lots of companies that do attitudinal studies out there, what ranks relatively low, surprisingly, even at schools with an athletic history, is the success of athletic teams driving pride in alma mater and value in my degree. If you think about it in terms of what's going to be make my degree more valuable today, on a list of 10 things, near the bottom is the success of athletic teams. There's other things that become more important, statistically speaking. I don't know, Dory, if you've seen that, uh, trend or any of the surveys you've done there that's come out in your work, but I have seen that unfold at other places. And just real quick, Ryan, there's yeah. about a half a dozen really fun stories in the chat that people are sharing about memories of uh, Pete bragging about his chiefs and us being Eagles fans. We don't like Pete. Um, yeah. And some really fun other memories as you go down the list. I remember all those that are listed on there. Thanks from Bobby and um, Ryan and, and Rob at, uh, Talking about uh, Drew, uh, Bryce Drew at, from Ole Miss. And I, I remember that, actually. You know, I remember that one, too. Yep. That, yep. Was, that was a big one. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> um, yeah. So I, I think it's really interesting. And, and and then there's an obligation to to execute on these uh, alumni engagement programs around athletics. But it's tough to measure fan base uh, scope and, and scale and, and as a sort of a con- contrasting engagement area to – or complementary engagement area. And of course, working with athletics, the athletics department is important and probably perhaps about, about how you wrap your arms around athletics related engagement. And that fan is, is stronger partnerships with the athletic office perhaps. But um, Dory, obviously athletics is part of the big piece of the puzzle at Gonzaga, but it's not the whole thing, right? You and I have talked a number of times about all the great programming that you guys do. Uh, when it's not March Madness, you know, where are you focusing your time and attention and resources uh, over those over the six, next six to 12 months? 
Sure. We have a traditional alumni uh, program. So we have regional chapters all across the country. Uh, we have newly emerging identity-based affinity groups. Um, so we are really focused on that. Uh, we are also looking at um, kind of doubling down on our career and professional development side of the house. So that has been a strong program. We've had one of the first mentoring programs years ago that was literally that one-to-one -one match. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're working now on um, scaling that uh, and uh, also working with par campus partners on trying to leverage the resources outside of advancement, you know, because we are limited and we need all of those areas to partner with us if we really want to fulfill um, some of our strategic objectives. Yeah. Would you say the chapter program, the regional program is largely sort of fueled by athletics or is there a nice sort of variety of, of programming on, across the annual calendar that, or maybe it's a little of both, right? Maybe it's. Yeah, it's a little both. So what's interesting is that our chapter program started sort of around the same time that we started to have basketball success. So we grew up together with that. So the chapter program um, is still rallying around a lot of game watches. Um, that's how they were built from. But we also have done some really great work in leaning into our mission with our chapter program. So we have lots of service projects. Um, we have major events in key markets. So one of our favorite events is the Seattle Mariners uh, game. It's Gonzaga Day at the Seattle Mariners, which um, my, my sources tell me that is uh, the largest game that they have from a school perspective, the largest showing um, from a university. So we're really proud of that. Um, so we have a great partnership with them. Um, but those are the kinds of events that we have in different markets that really bring Zags out. And your, your role is an interesting one, Joy, by title, uh, particularly, I, I think I have a sense of what you do more broadly. But you are the AVP of organizational effectiveness. You've been with Gonzaga over 25 years. Uh, and have had a number of roles. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in our bonus section, but could you share more about the unit you oversee at Gonzaga and, and how your role may be a bit different than other roles uh, from other AVPs in our space? Sure. I, I'm sure that there are so many different, I know there are just so many different roles that AVPs, uh, hats that we wear. Uh, my role is uh, overseeing all of internal operations for advancement. So all areas of advancement report directly into me and our principal giving team reports directly to our vice president, Joe Poss. Uh, we're highly coordinated, highly integrated. Um, and my role is focused on making sure we have strategic priorities defined that are in alignment with the university's strategic priorities, that we have operational plans that support those strategic priorities, um, and that we're working together to um, make all of those um, strategies and goals come to life. So uh, I also handle a lot of our talent management, um, which I know um, is, is a job in itself. And I, I get jealous of the schools that have uh, uh, positions dedicated just to that. So I like to define my role um, in three Ps. It's really focused on people, processes, and performance. And so you're going to find me talking or working um, around one of those three Ps usually on a regular basis. Who, who are the direct reports in your structure? Uh, so we have um, Car Hertz is our assistant vice president for alumni relations. Okay. Uh, we have Laura Gatewood is our assistant vice president for donor relations. 
Uh, Jeff Gildine is our Assistant Vice President for Major Plan Gifts and Academic Development. And Stephanie Rockwell is our Assistant Vice President for Fundraising um, and uh, Fundraising Strategy and Operations. Great. Uh, so alumni relations, donor relations, major gift plan giving, and the rest of the development operations under there too. Wow. Yeah. That's a big portfolio. <laughs> yes. But I have wonderful team members who are super equipped and talented um, and their teams under them as well. well one, one of the things, Ryan, I think I've seen, Dory may have seen this too, is that um, the longer tenure someone has, the more often more interesting their direct reports and structures and titles are because they've been there and they're clearly talented and they've been retained for that reason. And they inherit things along the way and their title morphs along with it. So I think it's what happened to you, Dory, would be my guess. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I, I actually started my career as an administrative assistant in annual giving. So oh, I have I have had multiple hats, but it's been really fun. Yeah. And how has it been sort of leading the engagement and, and mer sort of merging development and engagement in donor relations under your purview? Obviously, you have a very uh, great viewpoint to do just that, right? And sort of make sure all the threads are connected. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we've been traditionally a pretty coordinated uh, group. You know, when you're a small shop, that's the benefit is that you have that ability to be more coordinated and um, you don't have as many hoops to jump through, perhaps, to get there. So um, I don't know that it's anything new, uh, but we have become more and more integrated as we've we've gone through, you know, the ups and downs, especially through COVID. I think that has helped us become even more tightly coordinated, and um, our communication is more effective than ever before. So um, it's there's a lot of bonuses. I mean, what we're doing in um, over the next few days in Las Vegas is an example of that. You know, we have multiple different things we're trying to accomplish. We have top donors, we have mid-level donors, we have um, alumni, non-donors. Um, and, you know, we have goals for every single one of those um, out areas. Hmm. Chris, and as you sort of think about Dory's unique role, um, We've, obviously, we have a sort of a sense of how the field is merging together and, and changing from our viewpoint. What are some of the things that come to mind as it thinks about sort of how Dory's role connects with some of the trends we're seeing in our field? Yeah, there, we're, we're, I would say the general trend, there's exceptions. We had guests on a few weeks ago, Howard Wolf from Stanford, who works in an integrated model in terms of the structure and how they function, but maintain more of a what we call a purist and alumni relations approach to the work he does. But I would say the vast majority of schools are moving to a much more integrated approach to what, the way Dory just described it. And you see combinations of things of alumni relations, annual giving. Um, um, our, our friends at NC State are in that, just moved to that direction. There's, there's dozens of other examples under there, but that's one of the larger schools. Uh, donor relations being part of the portfolio. I've even seen some with marketing communications. And I think Boise State is an example of one where they brought in alumni, annual giving, communications, and donor relations under the umbrella of the new leader there. So we're seeing this happen. The portfolio work underneath those, and, and, and Dory mentioned herself, a traditional alumni program is the term you used. I would argue that you probably have built a traditional program, but the few things that you mentioned on top of that are all examples of things that you know, managing and building in a con more contemporary model to doing work around affinity, identity-based programming. Um, you mentioned career. You guys have been doing that for some time now. But, but even, um, you know, campus partnerships are becoming more and more important to do it well than ever. So 
So uh, what, what I found, Ryan, this is longer answer than you wanted probably and went off the topic slightly, but what I have found, there's many schools that have built a strong traditional program and are doing class-based reunions, regional chapter programming and the like quite well. Yet and those programs are struggling to maintain their effectiveness in the recent decades, call it the last 20 years or so, because alums have different ways. First of all, they connect with each other without using us anymore, right? Little thing called Facebook came around in 2003 and boom, they didn't need us anymore to connect. So they do it on their own. So how do they connect? How do they communicate? How do they gather? What has meaning in gathering? And it's often things around identity-based groups, affinity-based groups. And we haven't, you know, historically haven't, and there's examples of those out there around our industry that do this well, but the average traditional program is going to be more based on class year and zip code. So building that affinity-based model, partnering on campus, being more integrated in our approach, using career as a focus, all contemporary, relatively speaking, you know, we're a 110-year-old industry, 1913 to 2023. 90 years of it, we hardly changed. The last 20 years, we've changed quite a bit. And what many schools are struggling with, and I think Gonzaga might be very much in this boat, is how do you build that contemporary program while maintaining those traditional things that we've been doing? Does it mean we add more onto the plates of our existing staff? Do we stop doing other things? Do we add staff? I mean, we could probably have a whole half hour conversation on that topic alone. Dory, any, any quick reactions? I saw you nodding, so it was resonating a little bit. Work, it sounds like. Well, I've noted I'm listening to that podcast when you decide to do that one. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> That's right. absolutely the place that we're in right now. And it is it is a constant evaluation. Yeah. Dory froze on me. I don't know. No, you're By, you're um, three to five years. Oh, sorry. You're back. back. Okay. I was saying it's a constant evaluation on a daily basis of, you know, what to, what to remove, what to add and how we um, maintain balance for our staff. Honestly, that's, that's a big priority for us. Yeah. Ryan, we should do a a session with somebody or maybe a panel on how to stop anything in the alumni engagement, how to say no or how to stop (laughs) would be a fascinating conversation. (laughs) Well, it's, it's really hard because those, those programs become traditions, you know, yeah, right? Exactly. And, and it's hard to, to, to turn back on traditions. Uh, and lots of people have invested in building those traditions. Uh, so it's definitely tricky to take things away, as you, as you said. But um, Dory, last week we asked Todd McCubbin at Mizzou, our guest, a question. And the audience was like, whoa, ask more questions like that one. <laughs> uh, so, so here we go. This is a fill in the blank question. Failure to invest in blank now will result in diminished alumni engagement over the long run. I would say um, failure to invest in two things, Um, people. Failure to invest in our people um, will be devastating because we are built on relationships. And if we don't recognize the value of that, um, then we are setting ourselves up for failure. And the second thing is technology. Uh, and, and the technology is so that we can help our people do their best work. Um, scaling is our probably our biggest challenge right now, how yep. to scale this work. And you have to have the right technology to do that. Great answer. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, when you say, okay, we are sitting at, I mean, we're, engaging, we're engaging 15% of our alumni. Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, well, we want to get to 25. We want to get to 25%. You say, okay, well, how do we do that? 
And then you see you line up the current programs, you see, I see chapters and reunions and homecoming and traditions, and you sort of say, okay, well, can we get there with these programs? And, and for a lot of schools, like, the answer is, well, no, I don't, I'm not sure we are going to be able to do that. Yeah. And so the answer is, well, what else are we going to do? And then what do we have to stop doing in order to sort of advance forward in that? And I think lots of schools are going through that same challenge right now in this particular post-COVID moment is also providing a lot of sort of uncertainty because the old things we were doing aren't quite working as well. And neither are the new things that we were doing during COVID, right? The, the digital things, particularly virtual events, we've seen some of the, some decline there. So it's a definitely a challenging problem, but um, together we will, we will come to all the yeah. answers, right? There's a lot of, uh, a lot of support for uh, how do we stop anything? You know, we'll, so we'll have to do that, a special session on that. Um, and then, uh, Dory, for you, Lola uh, Maurer. Lola, let us know where you're from uh, is on the webinar. She has a very similar title. I think it's uh, equally complex. <laughs> Alumni engagement, annual giving, donor relations, digital comms, et cetera. So you two need to connect and have a, like, yes. a therapy session together. <laughs> I would love that, Lola. Please. <laughs> Lola is in Muncie, Indiana, I believe, right? Ball State That's University. Right. That's right. That's Ball State. I forgot that, Lola. Good to see you. Thanks for joining. We have another few great comments from Zach. Totally agree, Zach. Time, talent, and treasury in that order. Um, and Shana, I appreciate your comment about tradition, something done twice, right? You, you can start a tradition pretty quickly at a lot of places. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Chris, we've, we've reached yeah. the conclusion of our live broadcast. Always goes fast. Um, can you share with us who we're featuring in two weeks? This is going to be fun. We've had people of international backgrounds, but we've never had a live webinar. So you're at 8.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. right now, Dory. We're in 11.30 to noon. We have uh, people all over the country watching, but we have people internationally, too. So this guest next week, Chris Kendrick, who's the Deputy Director of Alumni and Supporter Engagement at LSE, London School of Economics, will be joining us at 4.30 p.m. his time. So they'll be at the end of the day while we're middle or you're starting your day. Uh, what's our topic with a focus on with Chris? Do we have determined that yet, Ryan? You know, I'm not sure that we have determined it specifically. <laughs> I'll work on that one. But uh, having had a few conversations with the team, at, with Chris and, and his team at LSC, they're doing some really interesting stuff. And uh, particularly in the area of communications and strategy, they're, they're rethinking their global networks program. Uh, and it's uh, they're an interesting university. Yes, they're in the UK, but huge, huge international uh, alumni, uh, student and alumni population. And so uh, it'll be a fun conversation with Chris uh, two weeks from today. Another great comment from Pete in there about a theme that's emerged over the last few weeks about data, helping you make those decisions about what to do, not do, and what to stop. Uh, great, great point, Pete. Thanks for sharing that. And we can take uh, Rachel's question to our bonus section right. around um, athletics engagement as a fundraising effort. And mm -hmm. we will uh, conclude the live section. We will head to our bonus segment with Dory. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great weekend. Yeah. Pete, send me an email offline. I'll tell you about that other thing. But thank you all for being here. And Dory, thanks so much. Thank well you. All right, we are back. Thank you for listening to the podcast edition of Alumless. 
We are grateful for having a you for having. Let me try that again. We are grateful <laughs> for you for having us in your feed each week. I still think I didn't say that quite. Grammar. We knew what you meant. We knew what you meant. <laughs> Grammar's never been my my thing. I often sort of <laughs> just stumble over my words, but you know, I think people generally get the idea. It's because you're so smart, you think faster than you can talk. That's your problem, right? <laughs> That's really nice of you to uh, explain away my speech stuttering from time to time. I appreciate that. Uh, That's very kind of you. But um, we're back with Dory Sontag from Gonzaga University. It's great to have you, Dory. Dory is the Associate Vice President of Organizational Effectiveness in University Advancement at Gonzaga. We had a great live session just now talking a little bit about athletics engagement, March Madness, Gonzaga is a perennial favorite to make the NCAA tournament, both men's and women's. And we discussed all the, the challenges that exist of being a bit, a bit of a small to medium-sized school and, and delivering that engagement value for alumni each and every year. It probably puts a pretty big strain on your staff, I would think, uh, particularly this time of year. I was wondering, though, if you might... Uh, until you and I met and started talking, I didn't know a lot about Gonzaga other than it was a perennial favorite to make the NCA tournament every year. And that's not a bad thing for the average person to know about, you know, a school on the other side of the country from, you know, where I am. But I thought it would be great perhaps if you just share a little bit more about Gonzaga, what makes it such a unique school and in a unique area of the country. Mm-hmm. Right. I would love to. I love talking about GU. So uh, Gonzaga is in Spokane, and I, I guess I'll just say there wouldn't really be, Gonzaga wouldn't be who we are without Spokane, and Spokane wouldn't be who it is without Gonzaga. So it's, it's a very intertwined um, relationship um, that we really enjoy with the community, and I think that athletic success has brought that more to life. Um, but Gonzaga is a Jesuit school founded in 1887. So um, we are we focus on the development of the whole person, uh, and um, we are largely a residential campus. Um, our undergraduate experience is uh, rooted in community. I think if you were to ask most of our base what is unique about Gonzaga, and they would say it's the community, and that happened before athletics. So I think what you see on the um, the basketball court is really our community coming to life. So. Where, where does the name come from? Uh, it comes from St. Aloysius Gonzaga. Who was the, patron, was the, the, yeah, the patron saint of youth. Got it. Now there's a Gonzaga prep and you say Gonzaga, Gonzaga, Gonzaga. Right? Uh, is it Gonzaga or Gonzaga? Either of those work, right? <laughs> is, that right is that right? Either of them yeah. work? We, we, don't, we don't love Gonzaga, but, um, you know, so we're, we're the Zag. But there's a Gonzaga prep in Washington, D.C. Same order, I would assume, right? There is a Gonzaga prep high school, I believe, in Washington, D.C. And there's a Gonzaga prep high school in Spokane, Washington. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And I have a strong feeling there's a Jesuit connection to the same individual. <laughs> They're each <laughs> yeah. of them. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. I have to say, cool. I think they should have gone with Aloysius University. Just because <laughs> I, I, I feel like that is a heck of a name, you know? Yeah. Uh, it has yeah. a nice ring to it. But Aloysius Gonzaga. All right. Or ask, ask him to spell it. Ask him to spell Aloysius for it. <laughs> Come on, Ryan. You can do it. I, I'm too reliant on Grammarly now to fix all of my typos. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to start. Uh, but, you know, Dory, we talked a little bit in the, the live section of the broadcast about your role 
at Gonzaga. And it, but you're a double degree holder from the university. You are an alum. You have been working at your alma mater for for 25 years. You've had roles in annual giving and operations. You've led the development program. Now you're still doing that today. How have your experiences helped guide an integrated advancement model today? You're sort of the living, breathing personification of really great integrated advancement leadership. Yeah, I think it's given me just really great perspective. Um, you know, I I've done everything from running reports to merging mail pieces, literally packing the mail, you know, stuffing the envelopes back in the day uh, when we didn't have vendors that did that. Uh, I've, you know, run volunteer management programs and telefund and had a major gift portfolio myself. So um, that is, I love doing different things. So it's been really great. I will say that I think it helps me understand what goes into the day-to-day work of advancement um, and all the tasks that have to happen to really make us successful. Uh, I will say though, I I really rely on the team now because things just have changed so much. You know, you can't possibly keep a pulse on everything. So our team is just so creative and probably it, it's more just feeling a lot of joy when I see them um, thriving because I know what it takes. Um, and I, I just really get fulfillment that way because of the different roles I've had. What, what um, in any of these institutions, small, medium, large, Increasingly, I think so, and I mentioned this in my earlier comments, is, is that campus partnerships are critical to making yeah. an alumni program work. And I always think of the alumni position today as the, you know, the, the person at the center, who's your direct report, who does, who's your uh, alumni Cara, person? Cara Hurt. Cara, right. Cara is your conductor of the orchestra. Alumni engagement happens all over the institution. So she's, the music plays in athletics, of course, right? We've been talking about that, but careers and um, student affairs, admissions, and so on, colleges and schools, if you have them at your institution, um, it happens all over the place. And so partnerships are vital. Which ones are have you been worked have you worked on personally? And which ones are you excited about for terms of potential in the future to really leverage? Yeah, we have we have been working on that over the last couple of years. It has been a strategic priority for us, um, specifically in student affairs or specifically in alumni um, relations. Um, but we've had a lot of partnership with student affairs. We've had a partnership with athletics. Um, me personally, what I've been um, connected to of late is a relationship with our center for lifelong learning. Mm. Um, Mm. they are new, a new area within uh, the university that is focused on certificate programs and boot camps. Um, so it provides, um, opportunities for anyone to be able to join in, um, our and, and receive a Gonzaga education and experience. So, we're, but we're looking at more ways that we can start to promote that from for our alumni, um, as well as our graduate programs. Um, so that's probably the area that I've been a little bit more involved with, and I'm excited as we expand our career um, offerings and, and really highlight that that we can focus on some of those. Do, do those problem those programs include so sort of full time degrees? all the way down to certificates, but are there opportunities that are free and that could be offered to external audiences or is it all pay for education? Right right now it's a revenue generating um, program. Um, So, but we, we are talking about providing discounts to our alumni. um, And, you know, I'm sure as you know, every good 
sales um, program, there needs to be a little bit of free content content to entice. Yeah. So that could yeah. be coming down the road. What, what a lot of uh, clients are working on is that many schools are doing the same thing you're doing for revenue purposes. You got to have that for sustainability mm-hmm. sake, but um, they're offering um, free coursework, but also, you know, webinars and Zoom sessions and so forth where um, faculty or alums or even some students are speaking. And the whole point of it is to be able to share content and deliver on, you know, content sharing that alums are looking for. And it's, um, you know, t- to me, it's uh, one of the, you know, your network of Gonzaga alumni, you own, your content, you own. And and the ability for, so the listeners out there who are thinking about uh, creating a version of what Dory just described, it's it's not about necessarily creating it. And you have a program that creates it and then provides it for pay, but it's curating it. I like to think about also what else is happening out there around the institution. Lecturers come in and faculty are talking and this and that you know, levering, curating what's going on and packaging that to your alumni in a way under the umbrella of lifelong learning is an opportunity for every institution, frankly. So I think I it's, also think it's really interesting to- just to add on top of that, Chris, that the term lifelong learning is one that in the engagement space typically refers to faculty talks. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Almost exclusively, whether they are on campus, whether they are on the road, they are faculty talks faculty presentations. And I've been working with a number of schools where it's like, how do we expand out what we mean by lifelong learning? Maybe it also includes paid uh, certificates, paid degrees, but maybe it's also alumni providing the content, right? And there's a nice, easy sort of seamless connection. I think a lot of schools are trying to build upon, which is that free content add to it, you know, content from alumni, and then mix in the the conversions on getting people signed up for courses. And there's probably a, a sweet spot to develop over the course of time there. It, it reminds me of, um, in the case of Duke University, their last alumni engagement strategic plan had a second priority around this exact issue. They described it as lifelong engagement and personal enrichment opportunities, something that affect, but, the, but their strategies in it included these two, I love them. It said, Bring the intellectual firepower of Duke to our alumni. And the curating was a big piece of that. But then the set, the last one was bring the bring the intellectual firepower of our alumni to Duke, which mm-hmm. went both directions. I like the way that felt when they rolled that intellectual out. Intellectual firepower. Yeah. Duke to alumni, alumni to Duke. <laughs> so I'm going to ask one of my favorite, when we do interviews um, for discovery purposes, when we're working with a client on a program review, for example, we ask a whole bunch of questions and near the end, I, I put this question in, which I call the um, the blank check and magic wand question, which is unlimited resources. The only caveat, it's going to be towards increasing or improving alumni engagement at Gonzaga. And, and so the, the, the unlimited resources is the blank check. The magic wand is all the political BS that gets in the way of us doing our work. You can wave out of the way. So you have this blank check and magic wand. Dory, what would you do? What comes to mind? I would I would go back to where I said we need to invest, which is our people and our and technology. Um, I think that we, you know, if we had unlimited resources or more resources, um, you know, I think we could do some really creative things um, around, you know, creating some different work teams, um, adding some, you know, major gift officers is always a challenge for us. Um, but technology is where we can really scale that work. So I would I would have a plan where we could have high touch, medium touch, low touch opportunities 
with that um, technology really automating the low touch and even some of the medium touch points so we can really go in for further depth with our high touch moments. Um, I think things like artificial intelligence, you know, there's so much technology now coming our way. Um, we're just beginning to scratch the surface. And so, you know, how we can lean on those to, to better engage our alumni would be ideal. Well, I'm going to ask you an unscripted question. So this is the uh -oh. curveball. Right? <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners who've been with us a while, we have a script and we follow it. We often go on different tangents and every now and then we'll throw a curveball out. So let's assume that- Give me um, the curveball. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. It's not that big, but, but let's also assume in your answer that no Gonzaga alumni are listening to this podcast. Okay. <laughs> if you could stop something right now, that's the magic wand piece. Is there a thing that's been sort of the thorn that you just haven't been able to do it or slow it down maybe um, because of the politics or the inertia or the traditions behind it will keep you from having to make that decision? Anything come to mind? You know, I don't know that I would stop it, but I want, I think we need to reinvent reunions. Hmm. It, it's one that, that continues to um, challenge us a lot. It, it's expensive um, and that the expectation, well, it, it can be expensive depending on how you do it. There's, there's a cost to it, obviously. Um, but what is difficult is the expectations of our alumni you know, they, they want us to put on a program, but yet they want to kind of gather on their own, not every, you know, and it's, it's trying to, there's individual expectations and community expectations and trying to meet those needs. And then there's leadership expectations. Um, you know, if they're all here, we want to be delivering some kind of messaging, but they don't want to be talked at. They just want to connect, <laughs> you know, so right. it's, it's really, really tough. Um, and, you know, I think that there, we've all tried different things. I know schools are doing different things, um, but that's probably the one thing I, I don't know that I would stop doing it, but we're, we're in the process of reimagining right now. Major renovation. And when you say reunion, you mean class-based reunions, correct? There's a, there's a class affinity there? Uh, I do. That's traditionally how we have done them, but, you know, we've kind of done all class reunions now. That's what we had in the fall. And that seems to be a lot of, um, a success. We engaged campus partners in that, um, but it, it was high cost and high energy. You know, it yeah, takes a yeah. lot of staff effort too. Yeah. Back to your comment right, right at the beginning about affinity and identity. If if my alma mater invited me back to my class reunion and my 35th is this year, so I'm refusing to acknowledge that fact, um, I would never go. There's no way I would ever go back to a class-based reunion. And if you did it with the uh, people in the arts and science college or the architecture majors, which were my, my two areas, wouldn't go. But if, if you were going to have a swimming reunion, not only would I be going, I'd probably be helping you plan it at the beginning because I, I coached there and I did, I competed there and all that. But so the affinity I have and many, everybody listening will know what's your affinity back to my Sometimes it's a Greek letter organization. Sometimes it's a music group, marching bands and glee clubs spend a lot of time together when they're in school. Mm -hmm. And so affinity based reunions, I'm starting to see that emerge more in our industry increasingly. Affinity and identity based reunions. Are you doing any of that kind of work at Gonzaga? Uh, we do some, um, we do some Florence reunions. We have a campus in Florence, which I didn't oh, cool. mention when talking yeah. about Gonzaga. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, very well established. So, uh, that's probably kind of the affinity reunion that we are most successful with. And we're actually talking about, uh, we just surveyed our alumni to see when they wanted to come together in Florence for a reunion. 
Um, if, if you need some on the staff that you let me know, I'm happy to. <laughs> I will pass that along. <laughs> I appreciate whoever posted in the comments um, in the live version about, you know, sometimes you can do something for, you know, one or two years and all of a sudden it's a tradition. Yeah. Shane is that. That's tough. That's really tough because, you know, you, it, it, that's the managing expectations component. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting sort of following up on like, how do you take a slightly different course on reunions? I am the same as you, Chris. I, I don't have any affinity to the class of 2003. Right. Uh, All right. Stop, I, man. You don't have to rub that in. Yeah. Right? Well, look, 20 years, man. I just had 20 years. I feel like it was just yesterday. And the uh, next, the second curse in loneless history may be coming, Ryan, if you don't stop talking about how young you are. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but I, but I reached out to you of R and I said, you know, I'd like to uh, plan an affinity reunion for my old fraternity. Right. Um, I don't really care about the fraternity itself, but I, the guy, you know, the people who were part of it, that was motivating. And, and then as I got to planning that reunion, you know, U of R had me sign a confidentiality agreement. I had to have a little committee put together. And then they gave me the email addresses. But then they were like, that's it. Wow. So pretty uh, light. I convinced them to let me have a little bit of swag and borrow a couple of tables for a tailgate. But they were really happy to not have me use any of their communication tools. They were happy to not have take any of the money from our group. They're happy to have me deal with all the contracts. And I mean, I've done events my entire professional career and it was no big deal. And now we have tools like Venmo where you can move money around between people, accept deposits without actually having to have some sort of banking presence, right? But so what would be the strategy to cultivate more people like me who have backgrounds in events who might have an affinity based reunion because you almost need to like find people to and say, Hey, would you host one of those rather than waiting until someone like me reaches out? Like if you're really going to grow sort of a, another approach to building reunions, is that, I don't know what either of you think about like, how do you, how do you build a different type of reunion? You need people to drive yeah. the planning. Do I let you go if you have comments? Follow. Well, I, you know, I think that's a good approach. And we've had to do some of that, you know, when we've uh, not had some classes want to gather every so many years. And so, you know, we'll encourage them and we'll help them. We'll help contact and put people together and, you know, give them some swag and whatnot. And I think you have to let go and loosen the reins a little bit yeah. and not have to feel like you have to control everything. Um, and allow those things to organically happen. So I think there's a good balance there. Yeah, I, I just was on with a client this morning, and they're actually building a program. Instead of relaunching a bunch of regional formal chapters, they're going to have some in key areas, but the rest of them are going to be very much what you just described, with very light oversight and admin on it, where people can very um, nimbly, if you will, go out and create a group, organize an event specifically, and get together and do it in the name of the institution with 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 some support. Minimal, sort of the event in the box concept is what mm -hmm. people are moving towards. But with the only expectation really being, you know, fr frankly, they don't even worry about staying on brand and on messaging. The only expectation really is at the end, we want the attendee list. We want to know who was there. Right? Mm -hmm. So, and I'm sure what you guys did at your fraternity reunion was not on brand and fully with the communications <laughs> and messaging. But I don't even think they, I don't even think they wanted to know we existed because <laughs> three three days later I had a meeting with a leadership giving officer and she asked me if I wanted to host my help host my class reunion. 
Uh, so three days after I had had a executed a, an affinity reunion, there was no input in their view on the fact that I had just done that for nine months. Wow. That's interesting. That's interesting. And uh, they asked me to help host. And I was like, oh, my oh my God, how does, how does that happen? I love U of R, but that was a... Yeah, an, you're not surprised thing. when your alma mater does things that as consultants, we would That's advise right. to stay far away from, right? <laughs> uh, so, Dory, what do you think makes an advancement organization more or less effective when you think about how engagement fits into the equation? Do you have a North Star uh, philosophy uh, or sort of a notion that um, has helped you become more effective as a unit? I would say that, well, we have to have effective communication. You have to have um, people understanding how different roles work and and can work together. But I think our North Star right now, and and I would probably suggest this or give the advice to anybody um, going into the field, is culture. You know, it really takes um, a healthy culture to thrive. And um, it, that means leadership has to make it a priority. It means that we have to model that what that looks like and that the staff have to take ownership in keeping that thriving. So um, it's tough. It's a, it's a daily intentional job to keep a pulse on how things are going. And it takes humility and vulnerability as leaders to um, understand how we are both um, impacting and, and maybe taking away a little bit from that culture. Um, so I would say that has to be front and center. The old Could, saying that think- the culture eats strategy for breakfast has proven true and true. Every time I've looked at a place, we can come up with the best plan, but if the culture doesn't allow it, it's not going to go, it's not going to work. Did, did you, Chris, have sort of a North Star, a, a sort of a philosophical approach in, in your alumni leader roles? Man, this is way off script, and I haven't even thought about this. So the the lame answer is really no. But if I thought about it, I'd come up with a BS one for you, but I don't have it right now. <laughs> the danger of going off script. Yeah, right? uh, yeah. But I always been. I'll, I'll say a little bit just personally. I mean, I always been a people first person. You know, take yeah. care of your people. You know, lead um, and get out of the way. It's been a philosophy of mine as a manager and leader, um, and and that's also dealing with people, letting them flourish in their role. I never. When people say I work for, I always correct them. Say, no, you work with. You don't work for me. You work with me. And that, to me, gets into the people and helps build that culture that we're all trying to move it together. And many of it, Ryan, back to you. Here's the answer. Many of my North Star-like things in my life, the way I operate, comes back from when I was a coach of a collegiate swimming team. Forming a team, recruiting new talent in, getting them into the culture, getting them to understand it and reinforce that culture and bring in the next generation and keeping them part of it when they're alumni are all things you do when you're a coach. And it, it's all part of building a culture in, a, in, a, in the case of athletics a winning culture where expectations are that we're going to not only do all those things. I used to say, we're going to, we're going to have fun, train hard, swim fast. That was my North star. And if we did that, we, we, we would usually work out. So my, my former boss at Longwood had a philosophy that really connected with me as sort of a North star that was lead with great content. Mm. And mm. okay. I like that. Right. I like think about the, the people, the audience and what resonates with them. What will make your audience delighted? What will make them come back the next time? Um, you know, how do you, how do you lead with great content? It was a sort of a philosophical question that I continue to keep with me as I help other schools develop their strategies. So I think it's a really important question is you know, what, are, how are we leading uh, with great content? And that's, that's a strength. You know, when we talk with who's going to work with the client, 
Um, we have Ryan and I, and there's other people, but when, when someone wants that as part of their work, Ryan's the guy, cause he's developed that skill set. He's amazing at it. So yeah, I can see nice, that. It's nice of you to say so, Chris, <laughs> you're, you're biased, but um, <laughs> you're certainly better. Um, than you. <laughs> well, Dory, when we like to wrap up our episodes of alumnus with a bit of inspiration and ask our guests about where they find their inspiration to, to do great work, whether it's professional related inspiration or, or personal related inspiration that helps you know, make you whole and, and drive you professionally. But what, what gets you inspired? Where do you look to for inspiration? Well, I love podcasts like this. So thank you for um, putting this out there and listening to people in our industry who are doing amazing work and who, you know, can relate to some of the challenges that we face. So I love that. Um, I also love reading. Uh, I read a lot of uh, fiction books. I just read um, Lessons in Chemistry. So for anybody out there that wants a good next book. Um, but I also, I listen to a lot of nonfiction, usually on Audible, I'm listening to my nonfiction books. And right now I'm listening to Adam Grant's Think Again. I'm not sure if you've heard that one. Heard of Adam Grant, certainly, but I'm not, is that a new one? Yeah, it's his newest book. And it's okay. very much, um, it, it's one of the core themes is it's helping you think more like a scientist um, and staying curious and um, finding uh, joy in being proven wrong because it means you're making progress. So love that, especially in our work as you know, we have to really rethink a lot of our work. So um, challenging assumptions and all of that. That's and great. then I'm a golfer. So I oh, love, really? oh, I, I'm not nice. a good golfer, but I'm a golfer. And I love, I love using golf analogies. You'll hear people will hear me say it a lot that long game, short game um, approach. And, you know, I love how it creates just mental tenacity of you know, letting go of the last shot and focusing on the next one. Got to hit your putts, man. Got to hit your putts. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> well, it was lovely to have the chance to chat with you. Have you on alum list this week, Dory? Lots of great thoughts and advice. Um, Chris, always good to see you. We'll you too, be back sure. Thank you, Dory. We'll it be back has again. Been a pleasure. Weeks. Thanks. Great to have you. We'll be back with Chris Kendrick from the London School of Economics in two weeks' time. And Everybody else, uh, have a great uh, week, weekend, whatever it is for you. Whenever you're listening, I hope it's great. So long then. Bye.